very excited to have a conversation today um, with two extraordinary individuals who have done remarkable things and to learn about them and their work and even see a trailer of their film in just a, in just a few moments. And Rabbi Mark Borovitz was the CEO and senior rabbi of Beit Teshuvah, a nonprofit, nonsectarian Jewish addiction treatment center and synagogue community in Los Angeles. Also here is um, Harriet Rosetto, uh, Rosetto um, who um, uh, has an LCSW and is the founder of Beit Teshuvah. And they have a documentary together, which we're going to see the trailer of, The Jewish Jail Lady and the Holy Thief, which tells the story of their lives and how they founded Beit Teshuvah and is currently making its way around the film festival circuit. You should consider a screening in your community. Um, it's won numerous awards already for Best Documentary. Rabbi Mark is continuously traveling around the country to share his knowledge with the world and is actively trying to get pardoned for his past crimes in order to jump into his next career venture of real estate. So, <laughs> um, so we put the full bio here on the side, which we hope you'll take a look at for the, for the two of them. And um, the format's gonna be, we're gonna see the trailer now, and then um, we're gonna hear kind of a presentation from the two of them, followed by some questions from Eddie, and then some questions from all of you in the Zoom and in the, in the live stream, we'll be monitoring that as well. So, okay, Rabbi and Harriet, over to you. Great. Okay. I was this, you know, suburban housewife with all the china and silver, but I was- Hi, Rabbi, it looks like we got, there we go. I really- Can we restart it from the front, from the top? Sorry, Rabbi. With her and all that kind of stuff. I was this, you know, suburban housewife with all the china and silver, but I was having affairs all over the place. I really helped my mother tremendously. I went places with her and all that kind of stuff. And then there was this other part of me that was just a criminal. I was sleeping around with my professors. I had multiple counts of that, multiple bad check counts. In Italy, we're fucking every Italian that we can find. I went to prison in June of 1984. I was sleeping with the elevator man in my building. I realized that this was not for me. I got out in 85 and I just went right back into it. Kept hustling cars, stealing, selling hot merchandise, all of it. That, that was a nightmarish time. Bobby Green was chasing me up 72nd Street with a broken beer bottle saying, I'll kill you, you fucking bitch. I'm walking across the street. Guy calls out my name, Mark. Guy gets out of the car and arrests me. There was this little ad and it said, person of Jewish background and culture to work with Jewish criminal offenders. I called my brother, Neil, and he, I said, I'm in jail. And he said, thank God. I said, don't call anybody. The man upstairs is trying to tell me something. And I have to sit here till I can figure it out. Rabbi Mark saved my life. And he makes me absolutely crazy sometimes. <laughs> Harriet is inspiring. Harriet is transformational. I can have everything that I would want, you know. That's only because of uh, those, those two. I hated him. 
I thought he was arrogant and abrasive and a, and a know-it-all. And there was absolutely no way that I was ever going to have anything to do with this person. This hated first sight turned into love, a deep love. They found each other and they recognized each other and they married each other. And they married both approaches into one, which is what makes the philosophy of Beit Shuva so remarkable. It's a philosophy that says truth is at the core of being real, being human. And that's the source of your purpose in life. When we've lost everything and we're trying to restart and trying to gain a new understanding of who we are as people, and trying to quit eight substances at once, like I was when I came into Beit Shuva, you have to start from zero. And Beit Shuva gives you an opportunity to start from zero. Who better in the universe to work with Jewish criminal offenders than me? Nice Jewish girl who liked bad boys. Okay, so that's the beginning. That's like the part of the backstory in the beginning. And if you want to know more about the film, please contact us. <clears throat> Eddie, uh, I think, is going to put our uh, contact information in the film. But really, uh, in the chat, what we really want to talk about is um, justice, social justice, and let's stop this habit we all have of making someone else the other. That there is no other because we're all created in the image of God. And people make mistakes. Unfortunately, the criminal justice system doesn't have what Judaism has, which is teshuva. The ability to examine oneself, hear from somebody else what they've done wrong sometimes, repair the damage, repent, and learn new responses. Our, our prison system is not for rehabilitation. It's, it's for punishment. More rehabilitation is happening now, I know. But still, the attitude of guards, the attitude of prison guards, the attitude of police is about punishment. And nobody is given the benefit of the doubt. Not in a courtroom, not in a, um, a jail, not at a police stop, and certainly not in prison. So Harriet, almost 30 years ago, uh, 40 years ago, rather, 39 years ago, if you will, decided to get on a white horse and ride that horse into prison and jail and find the Jews that were in trouble. And what was that like from the be in the beginning? Well, it was a dream come true for me. Um, not only was I a nice Jewish girl who liked bad boys, but I was a true crime junkie. And I was an activist. I, I was a social justice activist. And so all those pieces came together for me I loved my work. I loved going to jail. And 
very early on, I found a teaching, and I don't know the source, that really defined the mission. And it was about uh, a rabbi who was a teacher and saint and who um, was very active in social justice and in working with drunkards and thieves and people from the lower depths. And, and his disciples said to him, Rabbi, how is it that you, such a holy man, um, are so connected to these people from the lower orders of life? And his answer was, when I look at them, I see myself. And if there is someone who comes before me and whom I cannot see myself, I know I haven't looked deep enough. And that rang true for me. I could see myself in the people I was meeting behind bars. They weren't, quote, criminals. They had committed crimes, but from, from a place in themselves that was broken, that they had in good intentions, but they had bad actions and they didn't know how to put those pieces together. And I identified with that. I had the nice Jewish girl piece, and I had this other part of me that was looking for a mission, that was looking to, to change the world, that was looking to put together my pieces. And so I helped heal myself by helping develop a way of healing through Judaism, of coming to wholeness. And then I found Mark when he was an inmate in prison and ultimately was able to put together finding my love and loving my work. And so I had everything I ever wanted. And if I was the person, I think, who benefited the most from my work with um, formerly incarcerated, you don't say convicts anymore or ex-offenders, you say formerly incarcerated. And um, I feel that it was a blessing for me to have found it. Yeah, and and in working with um, <clears throat> addicts, alcoholics, gamblers, et cetera, even people who weren't uh, um, incarcerated, um, all of us were were lawbreakers. All of us broke um, the meat's vote, stopped following them, even though we had some orthodox uh, um, and and some very uh, uh, from conservative Jews and some very serious Christians um, who spoke about, you know, um, commandments and, and, and faith in, in a very reverential way. They couldn't, they didn't put together the fact that they believed in God and did everything that God didn't want us to do or at least a lot of things that God doesn't want us to do. And, and so um, Beit Shuba became a place where everybody could relearn how to be moral, how to be decent, how to find their passion, how to live with purpose. Because most people live on accident, even the ones who aren't in jail. In fact, some of you, with all due respect, live by accident or on accident because you're not getting up every day and saying this is my purpose for the day and being so aware and immersed in what is going on and another part of what we did was go to jail 
we went to jail and and we went to prison and we visited people and we helped um we did a lot of alternative sentencing harry started doing this with a lot of different reports any any reports that you can think of that make you laugh and and are um atypical of what people would think oh everyone really um i mean my my moment of fame was defining a computer hacker as an addict it was the first time anybody had ever identified hacking as an addiction and i began to see that most um aberrant behavior could be under the title of an addiction and an addiction is when you know what's right and you do what's wrong or your intentions and your actions don't match and we call that a hole in the soul and and judaism to me is a path toward wholeness the fact that we acknowledge that we have opposing inclinations and that the good inclination is good and the evil inclination is very good is the beginning, that paradox is the beginning of healing for people who have lived in either or life. They're either all good or all bad. It says we're both. And what we do is harness the power of the evil inclination to do good things. That's the challenge of every human being. I think one of my first cases, um, of, of alternative sentencing was a, a guy who was the auditor and financial. No, he was the CFO. CFO of his company, a man who was in his 40s, had grown children, was had an MBA, and he was a compulsive gambler. And a graduate of Flatbush, uh, Flatbush Yeshiva, don't forget. That's right. And the child of uh, Holocaust survivors, and he had embezzled several hundred thousand dollars from his company. And gamblers have this insane optimism; they believe that they're going to win, and so they don't see it. They they're borrowing the money; they're going to pay it back. They don't see it as criminal. But the audit came before he was able to replace the money, and he got arrested. And I went to to court with his parents who were horrified to see their son in shackles. And uh, what I told the judge was, I can't guarantee that treatment will solve this problem, but I can guarantee that if there's no treatment, he will continue to offend because prison doesn't heal people. It makes them worse. And so the judge said, okay, you got him for a year. and. Uh, and we all cried. And um, he stayed abstinent from gambling for the rest of his life, which unfortunately was cut short by cancer. And he paid back every dime that he owed. And we got married in his backyard. And we got married in his backyard, yes. So I can tell you from the other end, when I was in prison, the only people that were offering any kind of rehabilitation, of course, were the chaplains. AA came in, but it was like a meeting. And um, there was some fear about going because, you know, first of all, there was, uh, uh, it was mixed, you know, whites, blacks, Latinos, and, and um, you know, that was a dangerous place on the prison yard. Um, 
As a Jew in prison, of course, it was even more difficult because blacks were for, didn't trust us. Latinos thought were suspicious, and the Peckerwoods, the uh, um, Aryan Brotherhood, um, just wanted to kill us. You know, you get into you got into the Aryan Brotherhood by uh, um, beating up or sticking a Jew or a black, and they didn't care which one. So, um, in the Jewish chapel. That was the place where all groups came together. In the Catholic chapel, all groups could come together. So the um, the priest and the uh, rabbi were the rehabilitation, and it was rehabilitation through faith. Not that they were in any disagreement, which I don't, AA is not in, in conflict with any uh, um, spiritual or religious beliefs. I mean, I want to put that out. Uh, Jews have trouble with it because it's in churches usually, and and, um, and and they have God, and it mentions God early on. You know, um, came to believe a power greater than myself. So as soon as you tell Jews there's a power greater than themselves, they think it's Hitler, and you know, and they go crazy. <laughs> However, um, as a very dear friend of mine, uh, Joel Grishaver says that if they would have done step one. Step four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, and then step two, three, eleven, and twelve. Jews would have been able to deal with it better because you take the action, then you believe. What's on your own? And and for me, the only thing I could turn to was Judaism. I knew I had to make a change. I knew that God had. had it was in, it was a divine intervention when I was arrested again in 1986. I was on my way to bet a 10-team football parlay in, in Las Vegas, and I was going to um, pay off all my debts, all my bad checks. I got arrested the day before I was leaving. Okay? On a Thursday. The following Monday, they were taking me up to Santa Barbara County here in Los Angeles, uh, here in California, it was, it was in Los Angeles County. And they let us get a newspaper. So after God hit me in the head with a baseball bat by intervening and, and, and making sure I was arrested, I found out God has a sense of humor because all 10 of my teams came in. I would have won $75,000 and Probably never would have paid anybody off. I would have blown the money, of course, but, you know, just saying. So I found out that God intervenes just as God intervened uh, um, for the Israelites in Egypt because the Pharaoh of addiction, the Pharaoh of um, the, the Mitzrayim of immorality and what we call in the program of AA stinking thinking, they... I was just overwhelmed by it. I was bowed by it. And it took God's intervention for me to be able to find a pathway out. So with the help of Rabbi Mel Silverman, Oliver Shalom, um, I began a journey learning uh, Rabbi Heschel, learning Torah, but learning how to be engaged in it. And so what we've done at Beit Shuva for over 30 years, we engaged residents in the Torah. They had to be in it. It wasn't studying it and talking about it from a, 
a critical view or an intellectual view. It was how do I live this principle? How do I live with tohu vavohu? How do I live with these two forces that are going on inside of me, the chaos, the emptiness, and how do I reach to God? How do I reach out to somebody else? How do you let somebody else talk? Whenever you want to, dear. So the question becomes, how do you find yourself in the Torah? What? Where is your Moses? Where is your Pharaoh? Where is your Jacob? So that it becomes a very personal path, not an intellectual, scholastic experience. Yeah, and, and here's the saddest piece. Beit Shuvah is still the only place of its kind in the country. There's some other Jewish rehabs. They're, they're, they don't integrate spirituality, 12 steps, and, and, uh, um, and, and psychotherapy. They don't look to make sure that each person is able to come no matter what they can afford. At Beit Shuvah, we never turn anybody away because they don't have money. Can you imagine running a place in the something that's become an industry where, where places charge 30, 40, 50, 60, 80,000 dollars a month. And Beit Shuva has kept its mission of helping people no matter what their financial situation is. So we we have we we set up and and uh, Beit Shuva is continuing to move forward in finding all of these different ways to help the individual. Because one of the things that we have to remember is each of us are created and as it says in the Talmud, Sanhedrin 37a, I don't remember a lot of sites, but some of them I do. Um, we all come from one dom for three reasons. First, Whoever destroys a single soul is as if they've destroyed the whole world, an entire world. Whoever saves a single soul is as if they've saved an entire world. Second, so that nobody, which Rabbi Yitz Greenberg, who I know uh, many of you are familiar with, taught this to us in my first summer of rabbinical school. And he said that shows that each person has infinite value. Second, so nobody says that my father was better than yours. So we don't go up the Yichas tree, you know, and um, which means that we have equal infinite value. And third, because unlike humans, when they mint coins from the same mold, every coin comes out the same. Kodosh Baruch Hu mints humans from the mold of Adam, and each one of us are unique. So everybody should carry a piece of paper in their pocket that says the world was created for my sake. Not as an entitlement, but as a responsibility to bring our uniqueness here. So in recovery, in, in rehabilitation, we have to take the individual and build things around the individual. I'm working with play now. I'm doing ceramics. So I'm learning how to build around. Rather than say, no, this is the, this is the box you're supposed to fit into and try and squeeze it. Unfortunately, though, even though these teachings are central to um, to Jewish learning, the culture 
is contrary in many ways to these messages. The culture is comparative. Um, systemically, because we need to raise funds to support our institutions, we have to play the game of who's is bigger and who's is better and who wants his name on a building. And in families, um, we compare one kid to another kid and we have an idea of how you're supposed to be rather than helping people develop their authentic selves. And so a lot of our practices are, are not in concert with our principles. And I think that's a real problem in the Jewish world. Yeah, I think that, that um, I think we see it all over. Okay, but especially if we're going to be engaged in, in changing the criminal justice system, we have to see the individual as an individual. We have to, um, as Father Greg Boyle says, erase the margins. Because if I can't see, if you can't see yourself in me and I can't see myself in you, then we don't have connection. Remember, every Jew, every Jew at the Red Sea, every Jew at Mount Sinai had a different experience of the Kodosh Baruch in the Song of the Sea, it's Ze'eli v'yambehu. This is my God. And I will, I will honor him. I will uh, glorify him. So we have to continue and we have to begin and continue to build bridges. And as Reb Nachman taught, Sit under the table, be the turkey under the table, instead of trying to be the king looking down. So that's what we got for this first half hour or so. Um, questions, thoughts? Yeah, thank you so much uh, to both of you for your, your work. And um, I mean, I'm so proud to have watched the documentary and I was so inspired by each and every one of you and all the people you have touched. Not only um in in you know with with treatment but mentorship and spiritual guidance to hundreds of people um my question to you to start off and i know we're we're getting some questions online as well um how do we move past the initial shanda of not talking about addiction of not talking about oh there's actually something wrong because oftentimes we see that in communities um, folks will, especially in the Jewish community, won't want to talk about the fact that maybe a family member is struggling with addiction. We've been confronting that from, from day one. I've certainly seen a change from 40 years ago. The, the first time I met um, a woman who was a very well-known philanthropist in, in Los Angeles whose uh, granddaughter got in trouble we met in a dark restaurant and she was sitting in a corner whispering. There was such a sense of, I mean, how could this have happened to me? And the denial was rampant in the Jewish community because I think that our common addiction is an addiction to perfection mm -hmm. and to looking good. You know, I grew up and I'm sure many of you did with shut the windows, uh, what do the neighbors think? We don't air our dirty linen in public. Everybody was supposed to be this perfect model of rectitude and 
you know, looking good. And we, we hid the fact that um, people are broken, you know, and I, I don't think it's possible to hide it anymore because the people most at risk now in our communities are the children of the affluent. Mm. And so, you know, it's become almost chic to be you know, in recovery. Well, yeah. And I think that, that, you know, as you, as you asked that, Eddie, I think that, that it's so anti-Jewish. I mean, think about this. I don't know how many of you have read the Torah. I'm going to say many. How many have read the Bible? Do you know all of our foibles are there? I mean, the Israelites act out, it's in the Torah. Abraham does this little thing with Sarah twice and gets some stuff, you know, in the Torah. Throws one kid out in the Torah. Almost kills the other one in the Torah. Um, favoritism by Jacob in the Torah. Sibling rivalry. Sibling rivalry from Canaan. All right? dysfunctional families throughout Genesis. And then you've got, of course, King David. David Amalek, a wonderful man. He had a little problem with uh, um, um, his zipper, shall we say. He... he uh, um, he loved the women, but so much that he killed that he had somebody killed, and it's all there. So what are we hiding? I mean, our tradition is based on transparency, not on hiding, and it's rampant throughout all denominations, all secular, etc. Jews, we keep hiding. And it's time for us to, to stop. It's time for us to live Jewishly. To put together our principles and our practices. That's my message. We have not done that anywhere that I see in our institutions or in our families. Well, that's what makes, uh, to tell you the truth, that's what makes Uri Lutzedek uh, uh, and, and Rabbi Shmuley uh, Shmuley's Valley Beit Midrash, because um, you guys are like the closest. You're the role model for this. And and um, and Beit Shuv is a role model, because whatever we did, we did it out loud. And I lived my life out loud, uh, sometimes too loudly, sometimes not so nice, and always from a sense of... Um, I think this is the next right thing to do, even when I was wrong, that it wasn't. So I think that that the more we we get, especially clergy, get off, take off the robes and take off the masks, because we put on so much makeup, mental makeup, so many masks that we've almost forgotten what we look like. Oh, not Terrell. Mm -hmm. Thank you. We have a question from one of our uh, people watching on our live, which says, do you think that there is a possibility for Teshuvah to be enacted in the real world with our criminal justice system? I see changes happening that are very inspiring to me. I see a revival of the whole concept of restorative justice. 
Um, in California, Governor Newsom now is going to institute the um, Swedish model, Scandinavian. Scandinavian model of rehabilitation at um, Alcatraz. No, Qu uh, Quentin. San Quentin. I see um, prosecutors who are into healing rather than punishment. I mean, they're opposing movements. There are the people who want to make it worse. And then there are the people who are recognizing that people come out. And if they come out worse than they went in, then we're doing the same thing, expecting different results. So I, I am hopeful that the idea of rehabilitation rather than punishment is, is returning. Yeah, I, I, I love that question because... Um... First of all, yeah, I believe that it's possible. I'm a product of how the criminal justice system got me to do chuba. So, I, I mean, I don't want to say that it's all bad. And I think, Rabbi Shmuley and Eddie, that we need to call for a national day of repentance. Mm -hmm. That all people involved in the criminal justice, justice system, all people who, um, all people, period, need to do repentance, need to do a chuva for the way we have treated the outcast. Because remember, in our tradition, you put them outside the camp. There was the whole idea of the camp outside the camp in, 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 um, in Leviticus. And the Kohen Gadol went and ministered to them so that they could come back into the camp. But we're not doing that. Well, We're we trying had, to lock them, lock them up and throw them away. Every day last week or two weeks, we read about different programs that are training people while they're uh, in custody to be drug counselors. Um, so when they come right. out, they, they can um, find jobs. There's a program here that I'm involved with called Defy Ventures that goes into prisons, I think, throughout the country and trains people um, in the last year of incarceration in um, things they will need to be able to adjust to the world outside. There's a shift, I feel it. Yeah, I just think, I, I agree with Harriet, of course, because she's smarter than I am. And, um, and the senior partner here. Um, and I think that we need we need to repent for the way we've treated human beings, right. human beings who have whose flaws have over overwhelmed them, um, and and it's 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 got to be just like uh, somebody who converts is no longer a gear; they're a Jew. The United States locks up more people than any other country. Thank you so much. Another question we're getting here is, um, um, what is something that has grounded both of you in this work when times are really hard? For me, it's you. Oh, baby. <laughs> um, well, of course, Harriet um, grounds me all the time. But I think that that what grounds me is is um, the fact that this is a calling. That and I think this is true for you. She's petting our dog right now. <laughs> um, I think it's true for Harriet as well. 
that knowing that this was a calling, right. that this was our way of serving the Kodosh Baruch Hu, and serving our souls and growing our souls and maturing our souls has kept us grounded in the worst of times. And, and um, kept us strong enough to keep going. Great question. Thank you. All of them are great. Thank you. I have a question, if yeah, I may. Yes, um, my name's Sabina Tyler. I'm part of Orangetown Jewish Center in Rockland County, New York. We have a um, criminal justice reform committee. And what do you say to someone? We had an event and it wasn't the time to get into it. And I was really kind of taken aback that says, I don't, I don't want my tax dollars to pay for somebody to get a college degree while they are in prison. And I'm thinking of, that's the best time because let them get educated while they're in prison and not, not come out, you know, not informed and have nothing to do when they get out. And I was just really surprised and taken aback that this person had this, you know, take on it. And I didn't have the words, but what do you, what do you, how do you try to convince people that this is what we need to do? Guess what you said? This person is coming out. Do you want them to come out and be able to pay taxes and be a good citizen? Or do you want them to come out and arm you or somebody else? You're paying for your own safety, really. Well, yeah, and, and that's like saying my tax dollars shouldn't go for your kid's college education at a state university. I mean, it's it's like, it. I think the problem is, the great problem, Sabine, is it, that they're separating themselves from the community. Right. Because this incarcerated person is part of the community. Yep. And they're coming back into our community. That's what they try to do is put them back into wherever they right. were first incarcerated. So they're coming right back at us. Right. And 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 um, when people would say that to me, I would just say, do you really want people to come back worse off than they were? Right. right. Yeah. So we one time had an idea that, um, um, you know, you're doing this criminal justice reform getting communities to adopt a criminal. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of communal groups that will go into prison and in, 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 in a lot of them in the Jewish communities across the country. And the, the, the lay people will go in and visit the prison and they will start a, com a communication and a, a contact and a relationship with people. And then they become mentors for them. Right. Yeah, we have, um, there's an organization called Made by Us, Making a Difference Every Day. Mm. And we had the um, founder of Made, who was formerly incarcerated, speak at our shul. And we had him bring a couple of residents to our shul. And after Friday night service, we all had Chavez dinner together and we placed the residents at different tables so they would talk to our congregants right. to see like okay these are human beings and you know you, you have to try to make that connection of you know okay let's see what they did their time give them give them another shot so what would it take to replicate that in every shul in america you know right. that's a model that's a beautiful model right and, 
Thank you. Looks like uh, Rabbi Eric on, on the chat posted, welcoming those in recovery into our shul. We drink a lachaim on Shabbos. Should we stop? Okay, I was just actually answering Rabbi Eric, so I'll do it um, now. No, I think that you should offer grape juice as well. Because here's the thing, just because I gave up or I am unable to responsibly drink, doesn't mean that Harriet shouldn't be, be able to have a kiddish. At our house, Harriet does the kiddish, uh, um, and I do the mozi. Because I just, you know, people have said to me, can't you have it? You know, and, and, and this, is, this is an issue. A lot of people say, but it's just a kiddish. It's a, you know, little. And the truth is, I don't know if I would go back out drinking if I had a little kiddish, but I know I don't want to find out because my life is immeasurably better now than it was when I was drinking. So I think offering both, because this way, you're still not singling out. If you stop it completely, you're singling out the alcoholic in, in, in person in recovery. And if you don't, if you only have a, a booze, then you're pushing them away. So welcoming says, here's for people, Here's here's grape juice and here's uh, um, wine. Take your choice. Thank you. That that is a, a a great response. That's equitable to everybody. Friends, if you have other questions, please feel free to ask them. Um, so you can go ahead and unmute or send us a direct message, and we we can go ahead and read that. Okay, you know, we, have, I, we have another oh, question here. What piece of Torah grounds you and continue to advocate for folks who are struggling with addiction? That's for you. Yeah. Um, 36 times in the Torah, it says, um, care for the stranger, the widow, the poor, the orphan, the needy. And one of the things that that tells me, if I take it personally, it's that I have to um, have to care for all those parts of me. And I have to care for all the people who have been marginalized. Knowing what it's like to be marginalized. From the time I was young, because we were poor. I mean, Harriet talked about not airing the dirty linen. We couldn't even afford linen, uh, you know. Um, we had cotton or plastic, take your choice. And that was marginalized. So Judaism is a big tent. And if we're to really be Jewish, we, you know, with all due respect to, to the 613 mitzvot, if something's mentioned 36 times, it must be important. It, we don't talk about that. I mm, love that. Thank you. So I am going to, I have to, um, let's see, I am going. Truly Incredible is proud to introduce oh, I'm Incredible sorry, I'm Products. Sorry. 
an innovative and multi-channel digital and broadcast platform designed to discover and showcase the best-in-class inventions from around the world. Incredible products technology. Oops. <laughs> I'm sorry. I wanted to copy the, um, the link for Eric he had asked. So I hope this works. Thank you. I also went to put your contact information on the bottom. No. Yeah. The best, um, the best, I'm going to put in my, the best email to reach me at. Okay. Final question to both of you. What can the Jewish community start implementing now to support folks battling addiction? What's something that's tangible that they could start doing now? Well, uh, you can, um, make your synagogues and places of worship open and welcome to people who are in recovery, either by holding meetings or having somebody come and speak. I love the model we heard from Sabina, Sabina about inviting recovering people to a service and having them get to know and sit with people so that they don't um, become the other. They, they, and they're us. They're our kids. They're our parents. You know, this idea that because you have a label, you're somehow different or dangerous. You know, for years we battled. Synagogues wouldn't even hold an AA meeting in their in their temples because they didn't want their kids exposed to those people. I mean, mm. that's a shanda for Christ's sake. Indeed. Yeah, and I think that we have to um, I, I think welcoming, but I also think that that um, I think that um, having a having a, 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 a Seder about recovery. I mean, isn't Egypt isn't isn't addiction I, I believe addiction is is the mitrime of today. One of them. I mean, there's a lot of them, but certainly one of them, because think about how many people are dying. Hmm. When you think about this, over 100,000 people died from heroin, fentanyl, opiates. Last year. Last year. Over 150,000 people died from alcoholism and alcohol-related um, accidents. Also, Beit Shuba has a play that travels around the country called Freedom Song that is a split stage between an AA meeting and a Passover Seder, and it opens a conversation about what we're all enslaved to. Yeah, and, and when you add in all the other suicides and, and, and overdoses by meth, it's heart attacks, and etc., you have 300,000, about 300,000 people died last year of addictive diseases. So don't we need to open up our shoes and say, we're here for to help you out of this deadly Egypt? Mm. This is the time of year. Uh, that, that was incredibly powerful. Thank you so much. Um, okay, thank you. I, I appreciate you both for your work. I mean, I have had the honor to meet both of you in person and watch the, the video. And um, 
you know, see the the impact that you have made um, around is incredible. I know here in Phoenix and Arizona, we are implementing a new project that we're going to be bringing in mobile showers to um, one of the biggest areas that um, has a lot of people experiencing homelessness. And oftentimes we we see people who are battling addiction, which is also why we're Narcan uh, certified and trained to have mm, that. And uh, we're able to implement those. And we're actually inspired by your work, um, by both of you and both of you's uh, resilience to being able to stand up and be authentic. Uh, if there's anything um, that I absolutely adore about both of you is your authenticity. And I think that that is the most beautiful part of who both of you are, is never letting go of the authenticity. Things have may have changed, whether that's the working in prisons to working at a nonprofit, um, to leading a, man, a nonprofit, but what has never changed is both of your um, authenticity and, and who you are. So we deeply appreciate you. Um, I, I hope you uh, continue to inspire others. And we hope that you all, um, who are watching can make sure to check out more about Harriet and uh, Rabbi Mark um, through the information that we will be linking up to the recording of this video. We appreciate each and every one of you, and we hope you have an amazing day. Take care, everybody. And may you all find your authentic selves. And leave the Egypt of mendacity and i want to just say thank you to eddie and and um and to rep uh Shmuley. you you have supported us and connected with us and i we love your authenticity and your spirit and we love anything we can do together so thank you thank you everybody for being here and on live stream and listening on the podcast and wherever else you get it so and thank uh, you all thank you Take care, everybody. Bye -bye. Be well. God bless.